0: Israel has the right, indeed it has the obligation, to defend itself against these attacks from Hamas. The way that Israel does this matters. It needs to do it in a way that affirms uh, the shared values that we have for human life and human dignity. Taking every possible precaution to avoid harming civilians. Yes, please.
1: Let's do that, shall we? Scared in case I fall off my chair
2: And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you
1: Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara 93.7 in San Diego 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on K- KFOI and Brown Mountains KKRN. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internet's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Not to mention most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Greatly appreciate you joining us today. I have pushed off our scheduled guest for today, Uh, because, well, as usual today, there's quite a bit of news that I want to – that we need to hit here. uh, And uh, more news, frankly, than I wish we had to cover. Unfortunately, once again, we start in the Middle East as Israel responds to the horrific and deadly surprise attack by Hamas now more than a week ago. And as humanitarian concerns increase amid Israel's retaliatory response against Gaza. With both, uh, both attacks now including death tolls well over a thousand on each side and the toll in Gaza now rising by the hour it seems along with an increasingly dire humanitarian crisis and some confusion about whether food and water and medical supplies that were cut off by Israel to Gaza would now be allowed in to Gaza through the one access point in the south of the Gaza Strip uh, from Egypt. Now, we focused last week several times on the show whenever President Biden had made a public remarks in the wake of the attack uh, while reiterating U.S. support for Israel. He also each time that he referenced his conversations with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, he reiterated the need to follow, quote, the rules of law of war, the rules of war as if it seemed to underscore the US concern about the proportionality of the Israeli response to the attack and what we have now seen as the death and suffering or otherwise uh, of otherwise uh, innocent Palestinian civilians in the Gaza Strip including many women and children other administration officials Over the weekend, we're a bit more explicit about some of those concerns, as was the president himself during an interview on 60 Minutes on Sunday. As The Washington Post reported last night, Biden administration officials signaled Sunday that they were trying to mitigate the humanitarian consequences of an expected Israeli ground invasion of the Gaza Strip, even as the Palestinian death toll from airstrikes continue to rise. An aid earmarked for the enclave remained stuck in Egypt. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, during an appearance on CNN's State of the Union, said people in Gaza deserved, quote, access to water and medicine and food. And he said we are working actively to ensure that happens. Israel had agreed to turn on, quote, the water pipe, he said, but only to southern Gaza. Now, several days ago, Israel warned some one million residents of northern northern Gaza to evacuate to the southern part of the densely populated strip of land on the Mediterranean Sea within 24 hours, which brought objections from both the U.N. and human rights organizations, which all characterized such an unprecedented, uh, unprecedented evacuation as impossible. President Biden In an interview that aired Sunday on CBS uh, 60 Minutes, told interviewer Scott Pelley that he thought an Israeli occupation of Gaza would be a, quote, big mistake, and he sought to draw a distinction between Hamas and ordinary Palestinians.
3: Would you support Israeli occupation of Gaza at this point?
4: I think it would be a big mistake. Look, what happened in Gaza, in my view, is... Hamas and the extreme elements of Hamas don't represent all the Palestinian people. And uh, I think that uh, it would be a mistake to, uh, for Israel to occupy Gaza again.
3: Do you believe that Hamas must be eliminated entirely?
4: Uh, yes, I do.
3: You would like to see humanitarian supplies brought into Gaza? Yes. So you do not agree with the Israeli total siege of the Gaza Strip.
4: I'm confident that Israel is going to act under the major, the, the rules of war. There are standards that democratic institutions and countries will go, go by. And so uh, I'm, I'm confident that there's going to be an ability for the innocents in Gaza to be able to have access to medicine and food and water.
1: Now, there is unfortunately some confusion about that access today after officials over the weekend had suggested that the crossing into Egypt would be opened to allow supplies into Gaza and allow foreign nationals to cross out into Egypt. When the border is opened uh, to allow for humanitarian aid, that according to a statement from a representative of the Palestinian embassy in Egypt on Sunday, hundreds of Palestinian American citizens are among those who have been unable to leave Gaza following Israel's punishing response to the Hamas attack and round-the-clock bombardment of Gaza via airstrikes. The Palestinian health ministry said Sunday that eight days of Israeli strikes in Gaza had killed some uh, 2,670 people, had wounded 9,600. The U.S. uh, has increased its own confirmed death toll of Americans since last week's siege in Israel, pegging the number of Americans uh, killed now to be 30 with another 13 still missing. The number of hostages now believed held by Hamas has also increased. It was around 150 last week. That number is now nearly 200 held potentially in the same areas that are now being bombarded by Israel. On Sunday, the State Department announced uh, that it had designated David Satterfield, a seasoned diplomat, as a special envoy for Middle East humanitarian issues. That's good. With a mandate to, quote, facilitate the provision of life saving assistance to the most vulnerable people and promote the safety of civilians. That emphasis, according to the Washington Post, represented a shift for the Biden administration, which has given blanket support to Israel's military operations in advance of a ground invasion that human rights groups say will result in large-scale civilian casualties. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, after touching down in Egypt on Sunday, offered remarks on his days of shuttle diplomacy in the region in the uh, recent days with a focus on human rights for civilians caught in the crossfire, or at least as close to such a focus as we usually hear from American officials. Here are some of his remarks, at least until the live pool feed was actually cut off somehow midstream.
0: We are here at what is an extremely difficult and very tenuous time for, for the region in the wake of the slaughter perpetrated by Hamas. Um, We came here with four key objectives. To make clear that the United States stands with Israel, to prevent the conflict from spreading to other places, to work on securing the release of hostages, including American citizens, and to address the humanitarian crisis that exists in Gaza. Um, We started, as you know, in, in Israel, and it was important to make it very clear that The United States has Israel's back. We will stand with it today, tomorrow, and every day. And we're doing that in word and also in deed. I spent time with Prime Minister Netanyahu to go through the needs that Israel may have to um, make sure it can effectively defend itself. Uh, And you've already seen a lot of that assistance moving forward. And that's a conversation that will continue. Israel has the right, indeed it has the obligation, to defend itself against these attacks from Hamas and to try to do what it can to make sure that this never happens again as i said in tel aviv as president biden has said the way that israel does this matters Uh, needs to do it in a way that affirms uh, the shared values that we have for human life and human dignity taking every possible precaution to avoid harming civilians Uh, after we uh, left israel we've gone now to, I think I've lost track, but to six countries in the region. Jordan, uh, Bahrain, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, now here in Egypt. And the purpose of um, seeing all of our partners was first and foremost to listen to them, to hear how they're seeing this crisis, and to look at what we can do together uh, to deal with many of the concerns that it's raised. What I've heard from virtually every partner was a determination a shared view it looks like we have uh, lost the feed to anthony blinken there who was speaking uh before departing cairo now
1: uh, a transcript of secretary blinken's full remarks were posted to the state department website so i can fill in the rest of his comments uh before he then took a short uh, q a with journalists um the uh, transcript shows the secretary of state saying there where he was cut off a uh, quote. What I've heard from virtually every partner was a determination, a shared view that we have to do everything possible to make sure this doesn't spread to other places, a shared view to safeguard innocent lives, a shared view to get assistance to Palestinians in Gaza who need it. And we are working very much on that, the secretary said. I made co- I made clear he said that it cannot be must not be business as usual with Hamas going forward and at the same time I said we're determined to uh, to do everything we can to address the needs of people in Gaza civilians should not have to suffer For Hamas's atrocities, he said, we are now very actively engaged with countries in the region, with the United Nations, with Israel, to make sure to the best of our ability that people can get out of harm's way and that the assistance they need, the food, water, medicine, can get in. Today, he added, the president appointed one of our most senior diplomats, uh, one of our more experienced diplomats, Ambassador David Satterfield, to lead our humanitarian efforts Uh, He mentioned the appointment of Satterfeld uh, and uh, said that uh, he hopes that he will be helping to uh, move assistance to people who need it and helping people get out of harm's way. But in fact, there was little sign on Sunday of any substantive steps toward easing the situation in Gaza as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declared that Israeli soldiers were, quote, ready to take action at any time in order to defeat the bloodthirsty monsters who have risen against us to destroy us. Meanwhile, the siege has prevented food and fuel and electricity and water from getting to the enclaves more than 2 million residents. Nearly a million people have been displaced in the space of a week, according to the U.N. Agency for Palestinian Refugees. Gaza was running out of food and clean water, forcing people to use, according to the agency, dirty water from wells, increasing the risks of waterborne diseases. Relief supplies, according to the Post, have been Sitting at an airport in Egypt less than an hour's drive from the border with Gaza, some of the aid supplies delivered by regional countries like Turkey as well as the United Nations have been stranded on the uh, Egyptian side of the border now for days. The uh, the, the, uh, The Post reports that one of the main obstacles to the delivery of that aid is the Israeli government's refusal to guarantee that it will not bomb relief trucks having trouble getting an agreement from Israel to not bomb relief trucks. Humanitarian groups said they are desperate to see that aid start moving. Egypt's representative for UNICEF, the UN Children's Agency, said on Sunday, We are calling on all parties to open the humanitarian corridor, to have a humanitarian pause in the conflict, and to open the border to allow supplies to go in to children, children who need them right now. Plane loads of aid from the UN had arrived on the Egyptian side of the border with Gaza, and that includes drinking water, hygiene kits, portable toilets. A spokesperson for uh, the UN agency for Palestinian refugees said, "Quote: We don't know when it's coming. It it needed to come eight days ago." Staffers at the agency who had relocated to southern Gaza were rationing water, she said. Half a million Palestinians were sheltering at the organization's facilities under increasingly desperate conditions. Blinken, Secretary Blinken, in an interview with Al Arabiya, also said that water was turned back on for Gaza, but much of wa- Gaza's water comes from pumping stations and uh, desalination plants, which cannot operate without electricity or fuel for generators. And those uh, desalination plants use a lot of energy, a lot of electricity, he Doyne.
5: Yes, yes, they do. So, you know, hey, great that you say that you're letting the water back in, but if you're not allowing electricity or fuel to be delivered to the only electric power plant in the Gaza Strip, which runs on diesel fuel, which has run out of diesel fuel. So they have to allow deliveries of fuel to that plant to turn the water back on because that's what's required to turn the electricity back on to pump the water.
1: Other diplomats were less optimistic than the Biden administration that progress was being made on the humanitarian front. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said in a late afternoon statement, he said that, quote, Gaza is running out of water, electricity and other essential supplies, even as aid stockpiled in Egypt and in Jordan and in the West Bank and Israel itself could be, quote, dispatched within hours. He added, we are on the verge of the abyss in the Middle East and neither the hostages being held by Hamas nor humanitarian aid to Gaza, quote, should become bargaining chips. Fadi Abu Shamala is the executive director of the General Union of Cultural Centers in Gaza. He wrote from the Khan Yunis refugee camp in Gaza in a, a letter that was published by the New York Times. Shamala wrote, the Bombs exploded a few hundred feet from where I was sitting with my wife, Safa, and my three children, Ali, Karam, and Adam. Ali, 13 years old, screamed. Karam, 10, buried his face in my chest, and Adam, 5, burst into tears. We were in the outdoor area at the Rafa crossing between the Gaza Strip and Egypt on Tuesday morning. I had been lucky enough to obtain permits for my wife and kids to cross into Egypt so they could wait out the terrifying violence raining down on Gaza in safety. But before their names were called, Israel bombed the crossing. At that point, the only way in or out of the Strip. The crossing was being closed. We jumped in my car and sped back to my family home in the Yunis refugee camp where Ali and Adam continued to cry while Karam sat silently shaking. We were just one family experiencing one terrifying close call. More than two million Palestinians are trapped, trapped inside of Gaza, about half under the age of 18 as Israel pounds us in retaliation for Hamas's surprise attack on Saturday. Apartment complexes in Gaza City have been leveled, houses bombed, and families annihilated. At least 326 children in the Gaza Strip have been killed since Saturday, according to the Ministry of Health here. Women and children from my extended family were killed in an attack on Tuesday, and my cousin was killed on Wednesday. Yoav Gallant, Israel's Minister of Defense, called us, quote, human animals and announced that the suffocating siege that Palestinians in Gaza have endured for more than 15 years would be tightened even further. No electricity means raw sewage is seeping into Gaza's streets. Waste treatment facilities require electricity. The water supply has been cut. Dread grows inside me as I know the worst is yet to come. Over 2,300 Israelis and Palestinians have been killed so far, he writes, the majority of them civilians. I'm saddened by the killing of all civilians. I know the pain. I know that the pain of an Israeli parent is no different from the anguish of a mother or a father in Gaza. Yet I am not surprised that we have found ourselves at this bloody point of no return. Many of the fighters, Writes Shamala, who breached those walls are probably just a few years older than Ali, his son. Many of them were born during the Second Intifada. Their entire experience has been Israeli military occupation, siege, and devastating military assault upon assault in an enclave of 140 square miles, with unemployment and poverty rates of approximately 50%. This is the history. And these are the conditions that have shaped so many in Gaza, not a justification. I'm trying to imagine some positive outcome that this terrifying escalation might bring. He writes, I have always preferred unarmed, civilian led, direct mass action, maybe the Palestinian, Israeli and international activists who have been using these tactics to oppose Israel's occupation and a system that major human rights organizations like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the Israeli rights group, B'Tselem, maybe uh, they have been using uh, those organizations opposed to what is considered apartheid, will be able to harness this horror to someday advance their vision of a future of liberation and a decent life for all. But at the moment, with Israeli troops massing on the border with Gaza, suggesting an imminent ground invasion, I can't think beyond the coming days. How many more families will be obliterated? How many children will be made orphans and homeless? What will become of our collective humanity if Israeli civilians continue to be targeted and bombs keep shattering our infrastructure, leaving Gazan children lying dead in our streets? Without outside pressure, particularly from the United States, Israel can continue to flatten our cities and refugee camps. As Israel maintains its rampage, I keep asking myself, he says, what's in store for Ali and Karam and Adam? We are unable to shield them from the pervasive violence and trauma. Ali is a talented young musician with an artist's temperament and a musician's soul. Does Israel want to convert him from an artist to a fighter? If my children have no hope for their future, I cannot guarantee what path they take. The international community must immediately do everything in its power to ensure that my children, that all children in the region, are able to live in freedom, with dignity and safety. That is the only solution to the current horror show, writes Fadi Abu Shamala from Gaza. Now, MSNBC was able to receive an audio statement from Shamala, the author of that letter, published by the New York Times last week. Shamala spoke again about the surging humanitarian crisis in Gaza.
6: Thousands of Palestinians from Gaza City and north of Gaza City are evacuating their homes. It's horrible. There's no taxes for these large numbers. I spend the, the morning and the the, uh, the noon and the, the afternoon, um, helping lots of friends for securing homes. Um, there is not enough homes here in uh, in the south of Gaza Strip. We are talking about 1.1 million of um, displaced um, uh, people. This is the expected number, not the majority of the people of the uh, the Nose and Gaza city are not decorating it. There's no fuel. I'm running actually. I'm running out of my car fuel. It's horrible people. Um, there's no much enough food. There's no much enough bread. It's horrible. Gaza will never die. We'll keep alive.
1: Thank you so much. Gaza will never die. We'll keep alive. Thank you so much, he said at the end there. So that is uh, by and large where we are at this moment uh, in uh, Israel and Gaza. We will, of course, keep our eye on the situation as it continues to develop And or devolve, but the situation has inflamed tensions here at home as well, of course, and now with deadly results, thanks in no small part, by the way, to right-wing media. Mourners gathered in a Chicago suburb on Monday for the funeral of a six-year-old Muslim boy who was stabbed to death over the weekend by a man who police say targeted him and his mother because they were Palestinian-Americans. Services for the boy, identified as Wadea al-Fayyum, took place at the Mosque Foundation in Bridgeview, Illinois, a community southwest of Chicago known as Little Palestine for its heavy concentration of Palestinian-Americans. Police said the six-year-old boy and his 32-year-old mother were attacked by their landlord on Saturday in Plainfield Township, about 40 miles southwest of Chicago. The boy... A six year old boy was stabbed 26 times by the man, while his mother was stabbed more than a dozen times. Incredibly, she was expected to survive. Detectives were able to determine that both victims in this brutal attack were targeted by the suspect due to them being Muslim, according to the Will County Sheriff's Office in a news release. In the petition requesting that the landlord be detained, Assistant State's Attorney Michael Fitzgerald said that right before the attack, the landlord confronted the boy's mother and, quote, told her he was angry at her for what was going on in Israel. Uh, Shaheen stated that she responded to him by saying, let's pray for peace. And then he attacked her with a knife. The suspected assailant's wife uh, told investigators that he, quote, listens to conservative talk radio on a regular basis and became obsessed with the war between Hamas and Israel. He was reportedly screaming, quote, you Muslims have to die. When he barged into the ground floor apartment, the mother and son shared in the suburban Plainfield uh, uh, town, uh, town of Plainfield after migrating from Palestine for a better life in the U.S. The man also shouted, according to a family friend, you are killing our kids in Israel. You Palestinians don't deserve to live. It is a worst nightmare come true. It is something we tried to warn against, said Ahmed Rehab the executive director of the Chicago Office of the Council on American-Islamic Relations on Monday.
0: This individual, there are claims that he is of a Jewish background and he was incensed by what happened in Israel and has been watching the news. This person did not have a track record with the family. As a matter of fact, the father says that he had built a treehouse with the boy and allowed him to swim in a makeshift pool and brought him toys. But it wasn't until he started watching the news and hearing the statements that something changed. And that's why the family had no reason to suspect what was to occur. I ask you, what level of hate, blind hatred, could cause such an act? This atmosphere has created a monster out of a normal man who once built a treehouse.
1: It has indeed. The uh, the boy who was stabbed twenty six times uh, just celebrated his sixth birthday two weeks ago. Before the stabbings, there were no known issues or conflicts with this seventy uh, one year old landlord. The uh, family uh, said. Attorney General Merrick Garland late on Sunday said the U.S. Justice Department would open a federal hate crime investigation into the attack. Quote, this incident cannot help but further raise the fears of Muslim, Arab and Palestinian communities in our country with regard to hate-fueled violence, a statement uh, said from the Justice Department. In Dearborn, Michigan, with one of the largest concentrations of Muslim people in the nation, a man was charged over the weekend with making a social Media post that threatened violence against Palestinian-American residents, according to the police. So, yes, that's where we are. Uh, I've got uh, much more today. Uh, human rights concerns in our own country, some uh, elections and democracy both here in the U.S. and around the world. But let me take a quick break here and um, we'll come back with some of that unless you would like to call in at 818-985-5735 with thoughts on any or all of the above. If you're in our live listening area in Southern California or if you're listening via our worldwide web stream at kpfk.org. And as I asked last week, when I opened the phone lines uh, I had asked for callers, listeners to do your best to not inflame an already obviously inflammatory moment if possible. That is the, that's the business model, frankly, for right-wing talk radio. That is the business model that led to that, uh, that sense, just horrific uh, killing uh, near Chicago over the weekend of that six-year-old boy. Let's not do that. And I realize it may or may not be possible at this point, given the circumstances, to even discuss this without inflaming to a certain extent. I certainly don't mean to in what I'm doing here. I'm certainly I, – I, I'm trying to let you know what is happening. I am trying to inform, not inflame, albeit amid certainly inflammatory circumstances here. But we had a number of excellent callers, I thought, last week from all sides of the aisle who who were, in fact, able to do that. And if uh, time allows and I'm able to get to some of those calls, it would be nice if we could try and do that again today. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. You'll need to hit button number one to join us on air. We are in a fun drive again here this week at KPFK, our flagship affiliate station here in Los Angeles. So you can call that same number and hit button number two to donate to help keep us on the air. Or you can stop by kpfk.org to donate at any time there if you are listening via the podcast or somewhere else. Let them know, please, that you're a broadcast listener. Also, if you are listening via another station, please consider supporting them as well, as almost all of our affiliates are struggling to stay on your public airwaves. Right-wing media has no such problem. They are backed by corporations and all sorts of haters uh, who are happy to pay for that crap. Meanwhile, uh, those of us trying to tell the truth as difficult as it is on some days, are uh, struggling to stay on the air. And we can't do it without your help. So uh, our phone number, 818-985-KPFK. Let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs>
5: And thanks. Welcome
4: back.
1: Brad Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We will get to your calls momentarily, I hope, at 818-985-5735. Hit button number one to join us uh, on the air, whether I can get to. uh, There were some elections in uh, Louisiana and around the globe over the weekend. As I note, that may have to be put off till, uh, well, till maybe tomorrow. I want to do very quickly hit on the, since we're talking about human rights In the first segment there, I want to talk about some concerns about human rights here at home regarding the humanitarian and civil rights record of the U.S. in recent years. As AP reports today, a settlement filed Monday in a long-running lawsuit over the Trump administration's separation of parents and their children at our own southern border – Will bar the government from similar separations for eight years for the next eight years while also providing benefits like the ability for parents to come to America and work, according to the Biden administration on Monday. The settlement between the Biden administration and the ACLU, which has been representing families separated from their children, Still has to be approved by the judge in this case, but if finalized, it would make it much more difficult for any administration, including former President Donald Trump, the front runner for the Republican presidential nomination, to revive one of his most controversial and horrific tactics to try and halt immigration at the southern border if he should win next year's election. So this settlement is good news. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas told the AP, quote, it is our intent to do whatever we can to make sure that the cruelty of the past is not repeated in the future. The Trump administration, as you will recall, separated thousands of children from their parents or guardians that they were traveling with as it moved to criminally prosecute people for crossing the southwestern border. Minors cannot be held in criminal custody with their parents. And so they were transferred uh, eventually to the Department of Health and Human Services and then typically sent to live with a sponsor, often a relative or someone else with family connections. But a faulty tracking system by U.S. officials in the Trump administration, whether it was faulty on purpose or not is a separate question, but it caused many to be apart for an extended time or horrifically, never reunited with their parents. Trump eventually reversed course on that policy in 2018 in the wake of opposition, just days before a judge put a halt to the practice anyway after a lawsuit brought by the ACLU. But during a CNN town hall earlier this year, Trump did not rule out once again separating families if he were to win re-election. In fact, he seemed to be calling for reinstituting that unspeakably cruel policy. Legal Glerent, the lead counsel for the ACLU, praised the settlement on Monday. He noted, quote, this settlement means that babies and toddlers will finally get to see their parents after years apart. And that these suffering families will now have an opportunity to seek lawful status. It also crucially bars an attempt by a future administration to reenact another family separation policies, he said. Nothing can make these families whole again, but this is at least a start. President Joe Biden issued an executive order on his first day in office to reunite families That had been separated in the previous administration, according to figures released by the Department of Homeland Security in February, 3,881 children were separated from their families from 2017 through 2021. About 74 percent of those have been reunited with their families. This settlement filed in uh, federal court in San Diego does not include monetary damage, but it does provide key benefits, including authorization for parents of separated children to come to the U.S. under humanitarian parole for three years and work in the U.S. The families receive some help with housing and medical and behavioral health benefits designed to address some of the trauma associated with the separations that we caused. Mayorkas said, quote, we need to help these families heal. And that is an obligation that we carry because of the pain that we inflicted upon them. Under the settlement, it would still be possible to separate children at the border from their parents or guardians, but only under limited scenarios, as had been the case for many years prior to the cruel Trump administration's bastardization of those rules. They include if the child is being abused or if the parent committed a much more serious crime than simply crossing the border. The settlement also requires the government to keep detailed documentation when it does separate children from parents so as to avoid the chaos that erupted during the Trump-era family separations where parents and children could not be reunited ever 818-985-KPFK. Let's uh, get to some of your calls. Uh, let's go to GS in South Lake Tahoe. Hey, GS, welcome to the broadcast.
7: Thank you very much, Brad. Wow, hello to you, hello to Desi. Your show is one of my absolute favorites across the entire radio dial. Mm. I look forward to it every day. Thank
1: you, sir. Even on a grim <laughs> day like you, today, uh, my apologies well, for that. <laughs>
7: Well, yeah, yeah, as if you had anything to do with what's going on. But still, you you report it dispassionately as best you can. uh, Although we can still feel, you know, what's a little bit of what must be going on in your own heart. I just want to thank you for doing what you do. Mm. And other than that, uh, with regard to what's going on, the, the depths of depravity to which human beings can fall. Just is so appalling to me. It makes me wonder, you know, if I get to reincarnate, should I really want to come back as a human being again? <laughs> I, obviously, that's tongue-in-cheek, but uh, it just I, I don't know how we approach peace, except by doing the kinds of things the Pacifica stations do, which is to address issues as close as we can, as individuals, to the truth. You know, let's listen to the facts. Let's figure out what's really going on. And, you know, there's much more to be done, politics and all the rest of it. But the only way people are ever going to find peace is if they talk with one another. And I personally recommend, I'll finish with this. Mm -hmm. I personally recommend meet with people you disagree with and get together over food. Mm. Lunch or dinner, serve them together, uh, or serve one another in Mm. your own homes perhaps, or just go out to dinner or something, but discuss things in a dispassionate and polite way other than I don't know what else I know how to do. That's what works best for me, and I'll leave it at that. Thank you for what you do.
1: Well, uh, GS, let me just say I I really appreciate that. I appreciate that thought. And I, uh, you know, reading that uh, story uh, about the the six-year-old in Chicago who had Uh. gotten along – Apparently, the family had gotten along with this guy for a long time, but he just – something just snapped within oh. him, and I think we've seen that from a lot of folks. I hope to talk uh, actually in the coming days on this program with a guy who uh, is an uh, an avowed now-reformed MAGA guy to sort of explain oh. the thinking of someone who joins that cult in the first place and then interesting – Interestingly, how he got out of it. So I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. But yeah, Yeah. I think talking about difficult subjects, look, there is no more difficult subject than Israel-Palestine, obviously. But if it was only Israel-Palestine that we were having trouble communicating on, we'd be okay. It is everything that we can't uh, seem to have discussions about with people who may or may not agree with us anymore. The country has been broken. Donald Trump broke it. And if you look at the U.S. House, they can't even elect a, a Speaker of the House. Republicans can't even agree with Republicans to do the right thing. So it's it's madness. And, uh, G.S., I, I really appreciate your uh, your your vote of support here for what we try to do every yeah. day. Keep up the great work. Thanks a million. Thank Bye. you, brother. 985 KPFK is our phone number. Eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. Let me, uh, yeah, let me get to Marwan here. Uh, Marwan in Orange County. Uh, hey, welcome back to the broadcast. I think you called in uh, a week or so ago, sir.
8: Yes, yes, Brad. So thank you, thank you for having me. Yes, I called last week, and I was hoping things will um, get better that uh, apparently we're going in the wrong direction. And I think, uh, and I mentioned this last time, I think the only solution is the one-state solution, uh, right for all, for everyone, regardless of what's your religion. Uh, but one thing I want to mention, what's happening right now in the United States and, and in the Western media and the Western countries, it's really crazy. I mean, the media is biased. Uh, again, I don't support any, I don't condone any violence. The the media is very biased, uh, 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 and they're not. um, And you just heard about this kid, six years old, who got killed, uh, stabbed 26 times. Yeah, by uh, by the landlord that he knew the family, and 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 look what the media is doing. And this is this is uh, this is just unbelievable. And I think we should hold the media and hold also the administration, including Biden responsible for this massacre and let's call it the way it is it is a genocide
1: we we should okay. hold we uh, should hold, let me marwan let me ask you we joe should hold biden, joe biden the, accountable for yes, what happened correct. in chicago how so yes exactly how so I,
8: I personally voted for biden i would not and i think uh, biden Uh, uh, And the administration I mean, everybody who supported this On both sides, and the Democrats and Republicans And you can disagree with me, but that's okay Well, no, no, I'm not Uh, trying to uh,
1: disagree with you, Marwan I'm trying to understand, how is Joe Biden Responsible for what happened in Chicago? And the reason I'm asking is because I just spent uh, Quite a bit of time in the the, the First block of this show Going through what the U.S. uh, Administration is doing Really for the first time in my memory uh, You know, speaking up for or Palestine, speaking up for those who are, uh, you know, in this humanitarian crisis in Gaza. I have not heard an administration speak like that. Now, whether they're successful or not, whether they're doing enough uh, is, 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 you know, one of the reasons I'm also talking about it is because I wish to hold their feet to the fire. But to say that Joe Biden or the Biden administration is somehow responsible uh, well, f- Lord knows for what happened in Chicago, you're going to have to explain that one to me, Marwan.
8: I I, I don't want to get in. I don't think we have enough time on this. It's just. Uh, uh, if you well, watch, you had enough. To, you had enough
1: time. Hang on, hang on. You had enough time sure. to say he was responsible for a six-year-old being stabbed twenty-six yes. times. So I think he's you have the responsibility indirectly. here, Marwin. I won't,
8: say, I won't say directly. I say indirectly. He's responsible. Yes, he is. Why? Because he, he, he's 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 not putting. Okay, he's not putting stop to this genocide. Okay, he's also presenting uh, Taking a one side, okay, and and dehumanizing the Palestinian, and the Palestinians are just fighting for their rights, okay. Uh, even I mean, if, if we can sit here and discuss why, I mean, just watch his, his administration. What his. How are they taking the, the Israel? You just showed it on your show just a minute ago. The person who was talking about the Palestinian and how are they. They're just dehumanized in That we don't. I just was watching the news. Three generation was wiped out in one bomb. Three generation.
1: Right, and that's why I'm trying to both encourage. Uh, the the uh, Obama uh, the Biden administration to do more along the lines and laud them for when they do do the right thing. I challenge you to find any administration in in U.S. Uh, history who has spoken out about the humanitarian uh, crisis of the Palestinian people the way we are seeing it now. Is it perfect? Are they getting it all right? Absolutely not. But if you know if we're just going to you know say a, a, a blanket criticism of any U.S. administration, uh, we're not going to get anywhere, Marwan.
8: I'll be happy to send you examples offline, off but one thing I want to say, uh, last, last election, Biden won by very, very narrow, uh, and and the Muslim and the Arab community helped him win yep. the election uh, mm-hmm. in a way, okay? Yeah. I don't think this is going to happen this time. Okay. I, I think a lot of people will not vote for Biden for, for just, for simply not being an honest, uh, I, I mean, uh, a mediator, or maybe just taking the Israeli side and feeding the Palestinian. No I'm not talking about Hamas. I'm talking about the Palestinian people. As 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 really, their, their, their people, I mean, their life not doesn't matter.
1: All right, Listen, well, well we will... Just
8: one more thing. Yep. One more thing before we... Get. Very I quickly. Just, one thing I want to understand, what's the Israeli strategy? To kill all Palestinians or uh, to to really... Uh, uh, you know, bring them to their knee to surrender, so they can actually move on with their life. With, this, with the with the uh, uh, as uh, as they that's not going to happen. Even uh, if you I, even if you eliminate completely Hamas, some, some another group will come up.
1: Marwan, I and I gotta I gotta keep moving here. I uh, on that. Yeah, thank you so on, much. For on that, let me bad. just say, let me but, just say, Marwan, I, on, on that. I might agree with you. I would agree with you because I don't think they have a strategy that makes sense. I believe they're just sort of replaying the strategy now with more firepower that they've been playing for the last 40, 50 years. And it hasn't worked in those 40, 50, 60 years. I don't think it's going to work now. Uh, so we could agree on that. But let's just not make up stuff and, and hope, assign. I'm hoping, okay. I'm
8: hoping that I'm hoping Biden, the administration. Will uh, quickly uh, correct. uh You know they, they cannot really be uh, a true mediator between this. Otherwise, he's not. He's there is no way on earth he's going to win again. Thanks. And I'm telling you that because uh, I, a lot I, of that community is not happy about that.
1: Thank you for the call, Marwin. I was I, oh, so good to hear from you, sir. Eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. Let me go to Spencer in uh, Hermosa Beach. Hey, Spencer. Welcome to the broadcast.
3: Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Uh, just uh, you tell I just me to make the yeah <laughs> i just wanted to make the point um and then kind of what the last caller was saying too but um you know you had you had cnn the, the reporter sarah sidner who who confirmed the beheaded baby story twice on air and then uh that story later was retracted right and then two days later i'm listening to like you know right wing like a kfi media and, and they're still parroting the same the same beheaded baby story after it's been retracted so and then on the last caller's point you had president biden make a public statement announcement saying that he had confirmed seeing photos that he didn't see so you know it's kind of it's both sides of it and then mm. When the story gets retracted like that after CNN has run it and then two days later, you hear the right wing media still pumping it out.
1: Well, of course, that's that's what they do. They look for those sorts of things, which is why it's so important, by the way, that we track down that story of these uh, beheaded babies and make sure it's accurate. And I have to say, Spencer. I'm going to give more credence to that story the the, uh-huh. the claim was that there was 40 uh, uh babies who had yeah. been beheaded. I'm going to give more credence to that claim I think than you might if uh cuz I, I looked pretty deeply in it there's a, a good explainer at snopes. Dot, uh whatever snopes.com on this. Uh it doesn't appear well it's it's confusing there's uh very little firsthand confirmation of any of it um but it's not exactly. clear it's not clear that it didn't happen it's also not clear that you know uh automatic uh, machine gun fire can tear apart a baby uh unfortunately yeah. and result in a beheading that is not quite the Isis style beheading that it has been characterized as so um and then I also yeah. just want to make the point, you know, yeah. you
3: hear um, all the Palestinians being killed, right? You hear the number go up, but how many Hamas fighters have they killed? I haven't heard one, oh, we've got this many Hamas fighters, so mm. it kind of sounds strange.
1: Thank you, uh, Spencer. I it. do. I appreciate that call. Eight one eight nine eight five 985 kpfko oh, We're almost at the top of the hour here, aren't we? Let me go to uh, Sophia in Montclair. Welcome to the broadcast, Sophia.
2: Hi, how are you? I just had a quick follow-up to Marwan's comment. Um, You had said that you're hard-pressed to find another administration that has spoken out on behalf of the Palestinians. Um, I think whatever the Biden administration has said, and yes, they have made a few comments of the need for restraint against this genocide, that is something that maybe three, four administrations ago we could have done, you know, when they were um, encroaching upon their land settlement after settlement. Now there's a genocide going on. Mm. So that comment is—that's a low bar. Yes, you've done more than anybody else. Uh, well,
5: I agree. I mean, in the face uh, of a genocide,
2: yeah. that is woefully inadequate. Uh, so no, yeah. I mean maybe I wouldn't necessarily say he pulled a gun to a six-year-old kid's head, but I understand where Marwan is coming from.
1: Well, uh, listen—if you wanted to talk about uh, what they have or haven't done in Israel, have or haven't done enough of, okay. But he specifically said he blames what happened in Chicago.
2: Yes. Uh, on Joe the Biden. You know, he's well, guy, yeah. He's a guy in charge. He leads the tone of the nation. Well,
1: he the is, tone of the America. nation is not encouraging uh, people to go out and stab six-year-olds. It's just not. The tone and, uh,
2: of the nation is continuing a polarizing, one-sided point of view of the Israel-Palestine conflict in, in a small sense and the Muslim world conflict in a larger sense. So... Yeah, I understand where Marwan is coming from. That is a maybe a bit hyperbolic what he said. Yep. Yeah. But Just not a too little. far off the mark because the president holds I his tone has definitely led us down the path that we're going.
1: There's a lot of stuff I'll be happy to blame Joe Biden for. Uh killing a 6-year-old kid in Chicago unfortunately is is not one of them. But I hear you and I really do appreciate the call. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Uh all right, we have got to oh, do I have I got to learn how to work these phones one of these days. Uh very quickly, let me get out. We're at the top of the hour here, but not without a visit from Morris in Long Beach. Hey Mo, how are you holding up, my friend?
8: Hey really remember what you remember when they were separating them kids down at the border? Yep. And a whole lot of faith guys went down there to say something. Yep. Well, my what the, the rabbis got arrested, Bradley. The rabbis went to jail. They didn't go down there for no political theater. So you ain't gonna blame all of you. That's a fact. Take it easy, Bradley.
1: Thank you, Morris. Great, great to hear from you as always. My apologies, I couldn't get to everyone else today. Uh, I know a lot of folks wanted to get through. Um... <sighs> But we've got a lot to get to. And uh, I put a lot of it off until tomorrow. Uh, Maybe it'll be interesting still tomorrow. I think it will be. I hope you'll join me for it when I do. Uh, My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Wendell Handy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the... Facebook's mastodons and sites still known as Twitter. You will find me at the Brad blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here, uh, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
5: To the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com donate.
9: I'm Rick Smith and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1979. That was the day that the United Nations established the idea of holding an annual World Food Day. The aim of the day is to bring global attention to the problem of hunger and build international solidarity to fight the problem. The first World Food Day was observed two years later. One feature of the day is a teleconference that brings together some of the world's top experts in the field of agriculture, nutrition, and Human Rights. Each year, a different theme is chosen for the day. For the first two years, the theme was simple. Food comes first. In 1984, the chosen theme was Women in Agriculture. Women were again the focus in 1998 with the theme Women Feed the World. In 1986, the day featured fishermen and fishing communities. Small farmers were the theme in 1987. And in 2014, the theme was Family Farming, Feeding the World Caring for the Earth. That year, the United Nations declared 2014 International Year of Family Farming. A UN report found that 500 million family farms make up over 98% of farming holdings and were responsible for at least 56% of agricultural production. In the United States, family farmers produced 84% of all produce. The website for the 2014 World Food Day in the United States and Canada recognized the importance of family farm workers. It stated, quote, And yet, despite their critical importance, a large majority of family farmers are among the world's most vulnerable populations. Ironically, it's not uncommon for many, Many of the families who produce food to actually go hungry themselves. Today on World Food Day, take a moment and thank a farmer.
10: You're listening to the American Democracy Minute, keeping your government by and for the people. We have updates on two North Carolina election bills designed to consolidate partisan power. HB 747 and 749 were vetoed by the governor, but overridden by the legislature on October 10th. Last month, we reported on HB 749, which removes the governor's power to appoint members to the state and county election boards and gives that authority to the legislature. Like the toothless U.S. Federal Elections Commission, the state election board now has equal numbers of Republicans and Democrats, so a deadlock likely means few decisions and no accountability. Governor Roy Cooper vetoed the bill, but the veto was overridden by the legislature. The same day, the legislature overrode Cooper's veto of HB 747, a voter suppression bill shortening the number of days when mail-in ballots could be received, creating a pilot program for notoriously inaccurate signature matching on those ballots, limiting notifications to a voter before removal from the voter rolls, allowing poll observers to take pictures of voters in the polling place, and loosening restrictions on who can challenge another voter's ballot, among other voter suppression tactics. WRAL reports that on the day of the override, two federal lawsuits were filed against the state, claiming the limitations on voter notification disenfranchises thousands of voters and the election day registration restrictions target black and Hispanic voters. We have more on these bills at AmericanDemocracyMinute.org. I'm Brian Beal.